Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. McClure. Um, together we are bald. And say our names together. Sometimes. Sometimes appropriate. Sometimes. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. Now we have said our introduction and the rest is a lot less exciting. Well, except for this exciting part, right? No, that's not very exciting. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we've got a little bit of an inverted yield curve in the wrong place. That's ah. exciting. Oh, yeah. So we will be talking about the dreary science today, the dismal science, the, um, the one that everyone says is the least interesting. Well, we're going to try to make it more interesting. We're going to do our best, but we're bald. So that's our first disclosure. Yep. Right. Uh, our second disclosure is that the personal wealth coach is not just the name of this radio program. It's also the name of a registered investment advisory firm that's registered with the SEC. Um, why are we telling you that? Because they wish us to, and it's a good idea to know that we have a professional side to what we're doing as well as this weird radio stuff. Um, but I just said it's registered to give investment advice with the SEC. But we can't do that on the air uh, because fiduciary investment advice, we have to know who you are and we have to be private about what we say. There's a little problem with both of those on the radio. So what we do on the radio is education. Do we get some benefit from it? Sure. Sometimes people call us to do business with us uh, after having listened to the radio program for lots of years. Rarely after the first listen. After the first listen, they're probably getting medicated in their wondering what it was that just happened to them. And, well, that was a weird program. Why didn't I change the channel? After about the third time they listen, they're hooked. And uh, the, mm. the first one's always free. Um, on top of that, just because we're registered with the, at the firm level with the SEC doesn't mean that they approve of us. Because that's, Boy, is that an understatement? That's not how they do it. They don't approve stuff. There's no approval if you know if if you're approval seeking, you've got issues with the parent, and you really wish for approval, uh, you're going to need a lot of therapy if you ever register with the SEC because you get none from them. Uh, you do get disapproval occasionally. We have so far avoided all the disapproval side, uh, which is nice. Uh, that that they are uh, the SEC though, so their job is to find things of to disapprove just like the police are not supposed to go out and tell you well done you have followed the law it's it's more like they say hey you're you're breaking the law there you gotta stop it so um that's those those are my first two disclosures do you have one that you would wish to wish well there's always the one that we're not paid to do this radio program that's true nor do we pay the radio station to do the program we do it out of the goodness of our hearts, it does provide us some benefits. So we have obtained a few clients in the 26 years I think we've been doing this, not very many. And if we do a cost-benefit analysis, I think considering our time and all things considered, I don't think it's no, all things considered, a very good that's advertisement. A, that's a different radio thing. See, what else? Oh, yeah, we advertise on KTEM for the radio show. Yes, and which KTEM also which, advertises for the radio program. That's good. Yes. Uh, the information that we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. See, this is by one time a week I get to say deem, an accuracy or completeness. Of, of said information. 
we right. also, and this is my favorite part, I have to add this in, I may have to do this forever, henceforth, henceforth, we also do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of unsaid information. I do. I could guarantee it's I will guarantee the incompleteness of unsaid information. Perfect. That's the only guarantee we can give today. I guarantee it. Oh, no! And if you would like to join with us, presuming that today is the second day of April, the day after April Fool's Day, if you survive April Fool's Day, and the year is 2022, so it's 4222, if that's the date, uh, you're certainly welcome to send us an email and we'll address it on the air, Lord willing, and our email addresses, and preferably send to both of them, are jake at tpwc.com and jeff at tpwc.com. See how carefully I enunciated yes. the TPWC? It's still hard. It's Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie or the personal wealth coach. And now we get into the last week. Something has happened um, in the financial world as a whole. And you're about to tell us what's happened in the markets. So you're saying the financial world as a whole? Um, it is a whole. Oh. So it's like the donut hole, only it's not the piece that fills the donut hole. It's like really is the hole. It was another one of those weeks where a person could be forgiven for assuming that the market would go down because the news was bad all week. Uh, even the good news was bad news. The, the, the fear is still out there and much, much, much talked about that the Fed is going to raise interest rates too much and it's going to cause a recession and the world's going to end. Uh, the fear is out there that Russia is going to do something and cause a recession and the world will end. And that the price of oil and inflation is so high that it will do something and will cause the world to end. But that's typical. Uh, so far, yeah. so far, the world is, is not ended. Right. I have been... I haven't been all the way around the world, but I've been quite a few places in the world and it doesn't look like it has an end, but we'll see. Rock and roll so, is here to stay. That's what you're saying. Got, got that. Got that. Or world without end. Amen. Yes. There's uh, the last, well, this year and this week, the stock market has been of two minds. If presuming it has a mind. It, I, I, has think it has, up. I think it has more than two, but go ahead. Well, two opinions driving the stock market. Right. One is when Investors look at the condition of the United States economy. The United States economy is running full out, probably at max capacity across the board, um, doing exceptionally well. It has a tremendous amount of momentum. Employers are hiring. Houses are being sold. People are buying things. Uh, they want to buy more things than, than people want to sell, which is an in indicative of a fast-growing economy. And... For example, in the fourth quarter on an annualized basis, and we, I want to talk about that today, by the way, GDP was up 7%. Now, then there's the other side of it. The Federal Reserve has said, hey, interest rates are astonishingly low. We are stimulating the economy. We're going to stop doing that. So we're going to raise interest rates back up to neutral, and we're going to stop pouring money into the economy, which immediately causes a panic among people who mostly, I think, don't know what that means. Uh, that the the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates so much it's going to crush the economy and send us into a recession, which has happened a few times in the past, mostly in the distance past. And there's also the fear that something's going to Russia is going to do something or something's going to happen there or that inflation is too high. But for the week, the S and P 500 stock index, if you looked at it at the beginning of the week and looked at it at the end, you say nothing of any significant happens. It actually rose 0.06%, closed at 4545.86. It's down 4.62% year to date. It's up 13% from this time last year. 
So if basically what you're saying, if if you only got a weekly update on this number, it'd be really, really easy to assume that nothing happened this week. Right. Or almost nothing. Almost nothing. Um, actually, if you looked at it a year ago and you looked at it today, you said, wow, the market's really up. It's up 13% in a year, which is a lot. Nothing bad um, could have happened during that time period or this wouldn't be. Well, right. Right. It's It ended the first quarter down about 5.5%. Then it came back a little bit. But this is the way it's going. And the battle between the bears and the bulls is going full blast. Um, the CRSP mid-cap value index, the other one we follow, uh, because we like mid-cap value as an indicator, it was down 0.16 for the, for the week. It closed at 2596.57, if you're keeping records on that. But it's down only 0.03% in 21. Now, there's one other thing about the stock market I want to mention. That only geeky market observers like me and probably you would notice. Technically, according to somebody, and I'm not even sure who, a correction occurs when the market drops 10%, which it did early in March. It was 10% below its high at the end of last year. When it rises 10% from the 10% drop, which doesn't, by the way, put it back where it was, 10% down, 10% up, you don't get back everything. But when it rises 10% from the bottom, technically the correction is over. The correction was technically over on Tuesday. So I would just like to say that. Te- we had a correction. A, a, a technical correction was corrected and uncorrectable on Tuesday. Right. Or incorrigible, as the case may be. The 10-year U.S. Treasury note, interest rates. This is a big subject in the economic and financial stuff this week. It went down about 4% for the week, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, uh, to end at 2.381%. Now, to put that in perspective, remember at the beginning of last year, a year and a quarter ago, it was at 0.91. Now it's almost 2.4. It's also the 10-year treasury note interest rate, the yield, is lower than that of the two, three, five, and seven-year notes, which is a little bit of an inversion, which causes a lot of panic in the pundits to start pundating uh, about how a recession is coming because there's an inversion somewhere in the yield curve. Not true, and we can talk about that. We, we, will, Three-year note. we will talk about that in, in, in probably more detail than anybody has ever wanted to know about yield curves in general. We'll give you yes. all of that. Yes, it's coming. Um, the the three-year note is paying 2.623%, which is interesting. Uh, and we can talk about that at length. Crude oil, WTI. Now hey, this, there's no need to get crude here. What what is going I, on? There is. Just, there is. Oh, because you have to get crude before you can get gas. Oh well, that's sweet of you. Wait, mm-hmm. no, that's the oil as well. Never mind. Go ahead. Right. Bad. And you have to get crude before you can get gas, and then you go to the place where it says "get gas, eat here," or "eat here, get gas." Yes. Um, listen to the price of oil: ninety nine dollars and thirty four cents per barrel. Now, here's what I find is fascinating: way before the Russian invasion, before we knew that there was going to be a significant restriction in the quantity of oil flowing around the world and prices were going to go high and everybody was going to panic and run in circles, when in, when in trouble, when in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout was to be the... Uh, That's the, the new anthem. The yes, the new right. anthem. Widely, it was forecast that as we approach summer, and we're approaching summer, oil, WTI, would rise to about $100 a barrel simply because of demand. Right. And it's at 99.34 per barrel, which is, man, that's one of those things that you won't see in the headlines. Everything is now proceeding exactly as it was forecast six months ago. Headline. Yes. Uh, which is what's happening. Uh, so oil is now down, and you won't see that in the headlines. The price of oil has dropped 20% from where it was in March when it was at 123.70. So the price of oil is down 20%. Now, does that mean that the price at the uh, gas pump is going to come down immediately? 
probably not immediately. And there's a reason for that. Um, I guess we're slipping off into something else now, but I want to say that U.S. refineries, I'm, I'm off the market now. I'm going to talk about something else for a second. U.S. refineries are operating at pretty close to maximum capacity right now across the board, uh, which is brings some political things to mind. In other They're operating at 92.6%. You say, why can't they operate at 100%? Because they have to do maintenance. Normally, they shut down to about 80-something percent this time of year and do maintenance on the refineries in preparation for the summer demand. Right. They're operating at basically 100% for a couple of reasons. One, Europe wants to buy stuff. Uh, two, Americans, now that the pandemic may not be over, but they feel like it's over, are hitting the road and burning a lot of fuel. And if you don't believe that, just look at I-35. Um, so oil is down to 99.34. And I expect we will see gasoline prices start to decline soon. Not a lot. And the reason they're not going to decline a lot is very, very simple. These refineries, particularly the ones that make gasoline and diesel, are indeed operating at full capacity, but they're also selling a significant quantity of that stuff to the rest of the world, which is something, oddly enough, we wanted. I've heard a lot of people, particularly on the conservative side, say that we need to have more exports and lower or we don't necessarily need to lower imports we need to have higher exports well guess what folks we That's have higher doing. exports and we have higher exports because the europeans and asians and africans and south americans and everybody else are quite willing to pay a lot of money for gasoline because they're not getting as much for russia as they used to and the end result is we're exporting because it's profitable to export and that makes the price that makes for a shortage of gasoline in the United States would mean the prices are going to go up. And interestingly enough, I have seen letters to the editor uh, and comments in online articles that are saying we should stop exporting so much oil and gasoline. Wow. And lower our prices here. Now, I think these are the same people who were complaining earlier that we didn't export enough and we needed to raise our exports and lower our imports or something like that. So it's interesting. And that's just, oh, and I want to throw one other thing in here, Let's, which is, which it isn't political, it's economic, but it's going to sound political. So just hang on to your hats a minute. The Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah, this is the one that was in the news that was had big protests to stop it. There were fights back and forth. It's the one that's coming from Canada, from the tar sands of Canada, yeah. that's supposed to pipe down into the refining United facilities States. in Galveston. And this is an interesting point. The Keystone pipeline already exists and it's pumping oil. Right. It's the Keystone II that was the issue. So yeah, this, go the ahead. The Keystone XL was a shortcut. Right. Get the oil faster to the refineries. Uh, virtually none of which, by the way, would have been turned into gasoline for Americans because it is um, Not extremely, good for gasoline. Heavy, extremely heavy, extremely dirty, extremely sour oil that has very little gasoline in it. Uh, and the results of that oil, if it were processed, are almost ex almost totally exported from the United States. We don't keep much of it, or any of it at all. That's number one. Number two, interesting point, I think, the refineries are operating at capacity. If there was more oil coming in from Canada, would it lower the price of gasoline? Every study I've read agrees on this point. Not a penny. It would have no effect. Now, there, there's one more question that I regularly get on this subject when we talk about capacity at the, at the refinery. Man, we must talk about this a lot if people ask us questions about it. Well, um, is that 
Uh, we haven't really increased refining capacity except for one major event for about the past 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was Katrina, the hurricane that hit the Gulf and New Orleans and knocked out a bunch of the, uh, refining capacity in, in, in the Gulf area. They didn't increase the square footage or the, the footprint on the ground for their refineries, but they were able to come in and upgrade them to newer technology. And, and that's a big deal because it's really hard to build refineries, not because the architecture is difficult or the engineering is difficult. That's true, but that's kind of a given. Uh, if you're doing a skyscraper, it's difficult architecture and engineering as well. It's because it's really hard to do for environmental reasons. It's hard to do this just like it's hard to put in a nuclear power plant. You can do it. It just takes a long time. So the last major upgrade to capacity took place after Katrina. Been more than a decade. Uh, it's been and if, and if, significantly wonder, more than a decade. When you talk about environmental capacity, environmental stuff, and there's, an, there's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction among many people I know. We said, all oh, those environments, if we just need to build more refineries, it's the environment. No. When we talk about environmental issues, it's like, presuming we've got a lot of listeners, we've got listeners all over the place, but let's just that's a That's a quite a simple. big presumption. Yeah, go ahead. Presuming we have listeners. Um, let's just say on the south side of Temple, Exxon says, we're going to build a really big refinery. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. There will be a lot of, a lot of people who are driving cars that drink gas that are getting power made from gas that will be upset about that houston is, i think houston's a great example of this houston you're not going to find a group of people more warmly inclined to the oil and gas industry than houston texas right and yet there's not a federal mandate that says you can't build lots of refineries it's dirty and people well, tend to say, "Let's let that looks bad on the horizon and stuff like that." It doesn't just look bad. There's an old motto. I used to live in Houston, and it was, "Don't trust air you can't smell." <laughs> right. So and when the wind came from the south over Texas City and the refineries down there, the smell in Houston is noticeably petroleum. So this this is the deal. And and we can come up with new and newer and better ways of doing this and we're probably going to start thinking hard about doing it now because the oil price is high enough again that we can say oh it's going to be really profitable to build some more refineries. We need mm. to do it right and that's the thing is that the price of oil might collapse back down might it's going to collapse back down again. Why do I know that with great surety? Because it always has. <laughs> it always goes up and it always goes down until it's replaced. I can also say that given the mandate that came out this week, I think 46, was it 46 miles per gallon minimum? Uh, yeah. By 2030, is it? Um, 2026 I was or just looking at it. I don't have the story in front of me. Anyway, we're burning less fuel per capita in the United States than we have in many decades. And it's probably going to continue to accelerate. And if you don't understand why, just drive through West Texas sometime and look at the wind farms. Um, natural gas is a better source of energy for electricity. And we're going to probably burn less and less fuel. We have a temporary reversal in that process right now. But if you're going to build a refinery, 
you recover the value of your building, your capital costs over a 30-year period. And if you look 30 years into the future and say, how much petroleum will we need to refine 15 years from now, halfway to that recovery point, and then, then, you might conclude that maybe we won't burn, be burning that much petroleum 15 years from now. Yeah, the the rule that just came out is uh, 49 miles per gallon. Oh, it's 49, right. Yeah. Um, By when? Uh, it is uh, in the model year 2026, which will start mm-hmm. hitting showrooms in 2025. So yep. that's 49 miles per ga- gallon standard. Now, there's lots of wiggle room in there. The, it's averaged across manufacturing. So there's going to be cars that have a lot less than that and other cars that have more. Um, there's all kinds of it's a governmental rules, so there's all kinds of tiny little quirks to it. But on a whole, the average is going to be about 49 miles per gallon. And um, I had a 1982 uh, Chevy pickup as a farm truck for a long time, and it got six miles per gallon downhill. Downhill with the wind. With the tailwind. With the deal. Right. So that says a lot that we're talking about a nearly 10% improvement on that. Or 10%. 10. Or near, nearly 10 times. A improvement. thousand percent improvement. Yeah. yeah. Thousand. Near there. That thousand, is. Thousand, ten. Those are close together. If you think about a 900% improvement in efficiency in gasoline, that's one of the things that's happening right now. Uh, it's a government mandate, but it, you can't do a government mandate unless the technology is there or just everybody fails. Uh, the technology's there. And it probably means that there's going to be a lot of uproar from the auto industry saying, then get the ethanol out of the gas because it's lower. It, it is making our fuel efficiency less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's coming probably too. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Let's get the ethanol out of the gas. I'll agree with that one. And we're going electric. Just Get used to it, folks. Um, yeah, it's cheaper now. And this isn't an ecological thing. You hear us talking about oil and gas and, and us looking. Profitability is where things are. And if the market is changing, it doesn't matter how much you subsidize coal or you the government comes in and pays the coal miners. If no one buys the coal, eventually it's just the government. And do you want to say something to wrap up the hour? Go the market ahead. was essentially, the stock market was essentially flat. It's still down a little bit for the year. It's up about 60% from the bottom of the correction. We're technically out of a correction now and we're cruising along. The economy generally looks good everywhere we look at it. Interest rates are, are going to come up. In, uh, mortgage rates, if you didn't get refinanced at a low mortgage rate, it's too late to go back now. What else? Everything looks pretty good. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is that our economy is in great shape. We see some things that could cause it to slow down. We may see some numbers on GDP because of the the extreme growth that we had the month before. We're quarter and before. Uh, well, the quarter before, yeah. Um, and because of winter storms and because of uh, the way inflation's calculated and that it's month it is quarter over quarter and all that good stuff. We may see some low numbers in the first quarter. We will see some low numbers in the first quarter. And you're not seeing those warnings out yet, but we will. And the inversion in the yield curve really isn't an inversion. We didn't really talk about that, but we will next yeah. hour. Inversion in the yield curve coming up. We've got stuff about what's happening in China right now. And there's some big news from China that's being completely lost in the big news from Ukraine because it's bigger news from Ukraine. 
as far as the actual shock and trauma of it. Well, the long-term impact is bigger from China. Um, and we're about out of time. And until next week, we need to close up. And this has been the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake. McClure. Um We didn't say that. No, we didn't. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give investment advice, fiduciary investment advice to people of high net worth. Uh, not just on the macro picture of what's happening across the world, but very micro down to the specific of the portfolio. Um, the, we've got a local telephone line with voicemail during the weekend and real live people during the, the week at 254-947-1111 or toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Um, you can read our newsletters there. You can sign up for the newsletter. Uh, you can contact us through the contact form. Uh, you can go and listen to our radio programs. We've got quite a few years up on the webpage. Uh, you can see what we were saying prior to big events. See if we were right or wrong. Um, maybe wrong. Maybe right. Check it out. Uh, or you can contact us through the contact form or email Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. And thank you very much for listening. Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach, and we will be back.